Eagles Entertainment. Eagle Eye in the Sky is fueled by Gatorade, the official sports drink of the Philadelphia Eagles. Everything that move, I don't care who it is. Let's go. Give me everything you got. Play fast, play hard. Let's beat these boys tonight in their house. It's party time. It's party time. Let's go. Touchdown. You are listening to the Eagle Eye in the Sky podcast. Now here's your host, Brand Duffy. That's right of the week. We've got a battle in the desert to discuss as the Eagle Eye in the Sky podcast, fueled by Gatorade, continues. I'm Fran Duffy, and as always, I think we've got a great show for you here on episode number 295. At the top of this week's show, we've got Chalk Talk, where I chat with Ben Fennell about the Eagles' Week 15 matchup against the Arizona Cardinals. We'll talk all about the ins and outs of this game, some things to watch for, and we'll go inside some of the schemes that will definitely be in play here in this matchup. Right at the top of the show in Chalk Talk, we'll cover all of that. After that, Ben and I will go through our scouting report segment. This week, I wanted to focus on one of the best players for this Cardinals defense right now, and that's the pass rusher, Hassan Reddick. Five sacks this past week against the New York Giants. How can he impact this game on Sunday afternoon, and how is he mostly used in that scheme? How has his game changed since his days at Temple? We'll cover all of that in our scouting report. Before we get there, though, a couple of things I want to make sure we hit on. As a reminder, the best way to help us out is to go on to Apple Podcasts and leave us a rating and leave us a comment. If you leave a question, I will be sure to respond to it right here on the show. Also, if you enjoy my talks with Ben every week here on the show, on the Eagle Eye in the Sky podcast, then make sure you go and subscribe to the Journey to the Draft podcast. It's that time of year. Like I always say, we are getting into the end of the college football season. It's championship week here in college football. So you might be starting to get that itch. Who are some of the top prospects that we'll be talking about all spring over the next few months? We've got you covered every week on the Journey to the Draft podcast, wherever podcasts we found. And I've said it before, one of my favorite new segments on the Journey to the Draft this year is our Scout Story segment, where every single week I welcome a member of the Eagles scouting or personnel staff to talk about the cur- some current Eagles and get their memories of scouting them when they were in college. And then we'll talk kind of big picture, uh, just some takeaways at the position and evaluating them and projecting them to the NFL. Well, this week I welcomed in Eagles assistant director of player personnel, Ian Cunningham, to talk about the Eagles 2020 Walter Payton Man of the Year nominee. That's Rodney McLeod when he was at UVA. Well, here's what Ian had to say about Rodney McLeod. Safety Rodney McLeod uh, coming out of college and coming out of UVA, he was a he was a corner, I believe, right? So, so take us through uh, you know that projection and how you kind of viewed him in college and the transition he's made uh, so far in the NFL. You know, Rodney played a little bit of both. Uh, I've, I've known Rodney or known about Rodney for several years because after I left UVA, I think he came in a couple years after me, if not the year after me. Coaches continue, always raved about him, his football intelligence. Uh, who he was as a person off the field, uh, his competes, his competitiveness, his toughness. The thing about Rodney was just he was an undersized player that didn't have that didn't fit all the measurables that you were mm-hmm. looking for in terms of the numbers, right? But the football player on the field, you saw the flashes. It's just it was hard. It was a hard projection to say where is he going to fit? Is he an undersized corner? Is he undersized safety? Can he get bigger? Can he get uh, can he get faster? All those question marks, and that's really one of the reasons why he ended up going undrafted. But a lot of the players and a lot of the coaches at UVA raved about this player for all four, all four or five of his years at UVA. And I remember one coach who's no longer there, but he literally stood on the table for Rodney and said, I'm telling you, Ian, this guy's going to be a player in the league. And uh, look what Rodney's become, you know, a captain as a, as a rookie leading the league or leading his team in, in tackles on special teams at, at St. Louis. And then, uh, you know, eventually us getting him in Philadelphia. It's a tremendous player. 
So that was the initial part of that interview. And for that entire segment, make sure you go check out the Journey to the Draft podcast. I've been doing these interviews every single week this season, so you can go back and listen to all of them right over the last couple of months right here on that feed. All right, talking about Journey to the Draft, let's talk with a guy who is on every single episode of that show with me, and that's Ben Fennel. We'll dive into our chat right now in Chalk Talk. Let's get down to business. It's time for Chalk Talk. Well, excited to welcome in for another edition of Chalk Talk here on the Eagle on the Sky podcast, fueled by Gatorade, my friend Ben Fennel. Ben, uh, real quick, before we dive into some of the topics we want to hit on, uh, obviously, Eagles play the Cardinals this week. We've got our next episode of Eagles Game Plan that's going to drop on PhiladelphiaEagles.com. Friday afternoon, around midday, early afternoon, depends on how fast uh, we can get the edit done. But uh, a couple of the topics that we hit on, offensively for Arizona, we, we hit on De- DeAndre Hopkins and just the talent that he is, uh, how Arizona uses him in that offense and you know the different route concepts they use to get him open versus man and versus zone. And then defensively, I mean, this is a fun group to watch. You and I watched this defense uh, together over a couple days last week, and uh, it is aggressive, a lot of man coverage. It's a high-volume pressure team, uh, but it's a fun group. I know they're missing some of their best talents up front, you know, namely Chandler Jones, which uh, is unfortunate for just from a, a uh, you know fan of the game standpoint just because he's such a fun player to study. But uh, it is a, it's a fun group to watch overall. Yeah, absolutely. I don't think our offensive tackles are really complaining that they don't have to no. see Chandler Jones, though. He's been one of the most dominant pass rushers in the NFL over the last 10 years consistently. But I love this Cardinals defense. They're a really fun group. I think the offense gets a lot of headlines with Cliff Kingsbury and Kyler Murray, number one overall pick, and DeAndre Hopkins. There's a lot to talk about with this defense, though. There's some serious star power. and actually might be the better of the units on this Cardinals team versus offense defense. So a uh, really fun matchup. And it seems like, you know, we we get a lot of these Cardinals matchups over the years with the Eagles. There's been a lot of fun battles. I remember back, you know, the Kurt Warner playoff games, even the Carson Palmer years were really fun. Some big battles. Uh, just uh, Cardinals-Eagles is always a fun week. Yeah, obviously former uh, division opponents back when the uh, the Cardinals were in the NFC East. Um, let's get into some of the things we like about this defense. And I would say that at the very top, uh, as I mentioned, it's a, a pressure-heavy defense, one of the highest-volume blitz teams in the NFL. They like to bring pressure from uh, the second and third level. A lot of defensive back blitzes, whether it's the slot corner Byron Murphy or whether it's the safeties, you'll see Chris Banjo come down. You'll see, uh, obviously, Buda Baker come down. It's a high-volume blitz. And really one of the things that – I think that they do well. One of the more fun concepts that they really like to deploy zone exchange blitzes. And and the reason why I wanted to kind of break those down is not only have we seen that from the Cardinals, but it's also one of the tactics that the Eagles used this past week against the new Orleans saints on the Duke Riley interception. The Eagles dropped two defensive tackles out. They replaced that rush with uh, two defensive backs. So uh, you've got two guys coming from the back, two guys from the line dropping out. It's still a four man rush but you've got blitzers coming from different angles. So really just wanted to kind of get your uh, an explanation on a zone exchange blitz and kind of what that looks like for the fans at home. Yeah, and just at, at its essence is a zone pressure. So you're playing zone coverage behind a, you know, a blitz and it attacking protections. Um, yeah, it's Cardinals defense. I'm just wondering if the high volume of blitz is to replace Chandler Jones's production as a pass rusher who led the NFL in sacks last year, if I'm not mistaken, or did the year before, but they're fourth in the NFL and their blitz rate, six most defensive back blitzes. So just like you had said, they love to send those nickels, those slots, those speedy safeties, uh, and whatever you want to call Isaiah Simmons, who's a bit of a hybrid player. Yep. And they have the six most sacks. 
So they love to get after opposing quarterbacks. And, you know, last week, I think the formula was a little different. They produced eight sacks against the Giants, but actually uh, dialed back the blitzes just a little bit. A lot more stunts and twists up front. Obviously, Hassan Reddick was the star of the show with five uh, big sacks on Daniel Jones. And uh, I think Colt McCoy finished the game, if I'm not mistaken. But, um, yeah, they're a very exciting uh, defense that fly around with a lot of speed. And uh, Buda Baker is kind of the uh, the star of that team. He just became the highest-paid safety in NFL history, if I'm not mistaken. Right. This guy's involved in a lot of these pressure schemes. So I think it'll be interesting, to your point, about what Arizona's game plan was coming into the Giants game. We saw a lot of those – TE stunts, you know, that was a a big reason why Hassan Reddick ended up with five sacks. My feeling is that I would be surprised if they still used a lot of those TE stunts against the Eagles, mainly because when you've got a quarterback that's as mobile as Jalen Hurts, you don't want him to have that escape door laterally. You don't want him to be able to get outside the pocket. And and that's why I feel like maybe we'll see more in terms of the defensive tackle stunts, those TT stunts, the, uh, the Nat stunts, you know, those kind of stunts uh, over the middle of the ball where that way, you know, you still have that defensive contain on the outside. And that's why um, that sack that, uh, or that interception rather that Duke Riley had the beauty of that blitz against Taysom Hill you have both guys coming off the edges, and you're for, you're preventing that escape route from the from the outside for the mobile quarterback. My guess is we'll see more of the uh, those zone exchange blitzes from Arizona, and also some of those stunts maybe from the guys along the inside of the formation up front of the defensive line. Yeah, you definitely want to keep Jalen Hurts bottled in the pocket there, just like we wanted to keep Taysom Hill in there. So a lot of those perimeter pressures are going to kind of create the walls of the pocket and either force him to stay in the pocket or step up as your escape route, which a lot of these mobile quarterbacks, that's usually not the way they want to break the pocket. No, I think it's a really good point. And kind of staying um, you know, with that defense, with that side of the ball. One thing that kind of stands out to me just looking at them is that they've got a lot of players that, you know, coming out of college football, coming out of the NFL draft, you say that like these guys are, are really versatile. They can do a lot of different things. And there was conversation about what they can be and how do they project to the NFL. You go to Hassan Reddick, you look at obviously this past pick with Isaiah Simmons. Um, you know, you look even go back to like Dion Buchanan. I mean, and they've taken a lot of guys that have been, you know, linebacker safety, safety nickel, linebacker, pass rusher, those kind of hybrid players. And I think you know, we we spent a lot of time here on this show this offseason talking about positionless players. Arizona has taken a lot of those guys. And in this defensive scheme with the way that they play, they've been able to kind of show their teeth a little bit and and kind of let guys play their specific roles. I mean, we've seen Isaiah Simmons be kind of an eraser in coverage, you know, very early. I mean, week one against San Francisco, they matched him up one-on-one against George Kittle. It didn't go great for him early, but he has started to kind of, you know, get up to the speed of the game here in the NFL. We're starting to see him become a little bit more comfortable. They'll put in man-to-man on guns running backs, man-to-man against tight ends. He'll be a quarterback spy. That would be a that'd be a role that I would expect from him this week. We talked about earlier uh this week with Greg Cosell. So uh you know you get these kind of you know quote unquote positionless players, get a get find a role for them and then let them execute. For some it's taking a little bit longer than others, but it's kind of fun just to see this group just because of how many of those guys they have on that side of the ball. Yeah and a lot of that uh can really be heightened by when you look at how they want to fill out the back end of their roster. So while Hassan Reddick and Isaiah Simmons and those first round picks get a lot of attention for their versatility and hybrid nature, you have to remember like Tanner Viejo, Kylie Fitz, you know, Dennis Garadek, even going to like defensive tackle, they took Michael Dogby out of Temple in the seventh round. He's kind of a, a tweener positionally. 
So a lot of these guys seem like they can play multiple roles. Devon Kennard, you know, is he an outside backer, defensive end? That's, you know, to a T, all those kind of back-end roster guys are also very much a hybrid, you know. So, you know, Kylie Fitz, 49, maybe off-ball one play. Then in his pressure package, he's up on the the offensive line, uh, you know, rushing the passer from a three-tech position. Or and we guys see- that aren't super sexy, like Zach Allen, who they took in the third round last year from Boston College, like DND tackle hybrid. But, like- Fran, we love those fronts of the Cardinals. We kept noticing the past couple of weeks where it seems like all the true position guys – so the, the through and through D tackles, the through and through DNs come off the field. Yep. And we load up the line of scrimmage with all these hybrid players. So all those, you know, Viejos and Garadex and Fitz and Kennards and Simmons and anyone you could literally list as outside linebacker slash defensive end slash, you know, special team stalwart, right. you know, type of group. Just kind of a hodgepodge of a, a lot of really tough, versatile players. We'll talk a little bit about one of those guys, Hassan Reddick, uh, a little bit later in our next segment. Um, that being said, let's go over to the offensive side because obviously with Clint, Cliff Kingsbury, with Kyler Murray, there's a lot of focus, a lot of attention. DeAndre Hopkins on the offensive side of the football. So Cliff Kingsbury coming from the air raid. I feel like a lot of people, you know, they hear the word air raid enough. I feel like that's become more common nomenclature now in the NFL and around the country, you know, just people following football. What are the staples of the air raid? What is, what is the air raid? Because I feel like it gets grouped into just all spread offense it's not it's a it's definitely a separate delineation from you know a lot of other offenses we will see around the nfl and obviously around uh, college football yeah and just a very uh, simple elevator speech the air raid is a offensive uh philosophy system uh that's you know derived from upbeat tempo based uh um, you know, timing of the offense with more of a simplification in the playbook in order to play faster. So it's not the deepest playbook, but you have a couple core concepts and you try to go very fast and uh, use those concepts. And it's very much a uh, pass game oriented uh, offense. It's a shotgun based oriented offense. And it's really a pass game that's through and through designed to make the defense wrong. There's a vulnerability in every coverage in the air raid hopes to find that and attack that vulnerability. Um, there's obviously, you know, Mike Leach and Hal Mummy, you know, we're kind of the, the godfathers of it. And it's really, you know, gotten a, a lot of legs in different variations through college football, high school football. And now it's all over NFL football on Sundays. So uh, it's a very popular concept. And while some of the uh, usages of it around the NFL are literally every week, they may not be running the true air raid, but there's a lot of concepts and principles that definitely bleed through into other systems because it's it works when run properly, and there's a lot to take away from it. I think there's a couple things to take away from this, right? Because um, when you talk about the air raid, a lot of people think, oh, it's like this is new age offense. But look, Mike Leach right, was the offensive coordinator of Kentucky in the late 90s, and his quarterback went on, I believe he won the Heisman Trophy, but I know for certain he was the number one pick in the 1999 NFL draft, and that was uh, Tim Couch. And he went the pick before Donovan McNabb. So we're talking about an offense that has been instituted in college football for a long, long time. I mean, for the entire de- for this entire century, the air raid has been making an impact. And you look out, it started with Hal Mummy and Mike Leach together. Um, you know, they worked together at uh, a bunch of small schools in the Midwest. Then they went down to Valdosta State down in Georgia, and they went, you know, step by step by step together. Uh, Mike Leach kind of branched off. He goes to Oklahoma, and then he goes to Kentucky, and then he becomes the head coach at Texas Tech, and off we go. You get players or coaches like Art Bryles, uh, who was at Baylor. So a lot of those guys that have come from Baylor. Uh, Lincoln Riley uh, runs a, a you know, 
know, all these guys have different aspects of this, um, but you start getting into all the little offshoots and everybody's going to take their little pieces. Graham Harrell now at USC, Sonny Cumbie has been, uh, you know, for forever all around college football at TCU and Texas tech. And uh, you know, you look at Josh Hoople down at uh, UCF and obviously Kingsbury there, there's so many guys um, that run this style of offense. And I think ultimately the big thing you have to separate from an X's and O's aspect of moving up to the NFL, Cliff Kingsbury is the first air raid coach to be the, the, the shot caller in the NFL. But there are plays that have worked out. I mean, the, the mesh play is an air raid staple. That was what we talk about all the time. It was a play that the Eagles ran and it really helped them win a Super Bowl back in 2017. It's been a staple of this offense going back to when Chip Kelly first got here in 2013. I mean, that is a, that is an air raid staple play. Four verts is an air raid staple play. And if you go and you just kind of watch this offense, they've run the same plays over and over and over again at high tempo. And they're just going to out execute you. They'll they'll run. You know they'll they'll have a play sheet that's you know twelve plays long going into a into an any given week. And we'll say, hey, we're going to run the same plays, and we're just going to beat you because we're just we, we are so good at running these twelve plays, these fifteen plays, these twenty plays. That's kind of the the aspect of that offense. That being said, what have you seen from this Arizona offense in terms of the the routes they like to throw, the different concepts we're going to see? I mean, you see plenty of mesh. Wide receiver screen, a big part of it. What, what else do you see um, from this Arizona offense? Yeah, I guess it's just, you know, um, uh, determining what those staples of the air raid are. So, like I had mentioned before, the tempo-based, yep, heavy shotgun-based, heavy simplicity-based, so we can go faster. It's not a very deep playbook. Heavy five out in the route, so we want to deploy yep. all five skill players. As opposed to keeping in extra, you know, uh, protection, we our threat to the defense is deploying all five in the system, um, and it's very dependent on the quarterback making good decisions. Um, and sometimes it's getting categorized as the basketball on grass, you know, the way it's been run in college football at times. Um, but yeah, the Cardinals use a lot of those extensions, and the way right now the NFL is kind of zigging, the Cardinals are zagging in a lot of areas. You know, shifts in motions are taking over the NFL. Everybody's enamored with, you know, jet sweeps and McVay and Shanahan and Matt LaFleur and everybody's moving pre-snap, not air raid systems. They don't want movement uh, before the snap. They want to go, go, go. In order to go, 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 you can't have moving parts pre-snap because that takes time, time, time. So right now in the NFL, they are dead last in shift in motion percentage. They also love getting as much speed on the field. They want to get their four receiver packages, which is that rare 10 personnel. They lead the NFL. But the 11 personnel that everybody wants three receivers, one tight end, one running back, they're 29th that everybody in the NFL is using. So there's a lot of, you know, kind of aspects of popular schemes the NFL is really using that the Cardinals are going the other direction. Um, so they obviously are number one in shotgun. Number two in the RPO usage, a lot of pistol-based stuff, a lot of 6-0 line-based stuff, a lot of empty-based stuff. Um, all those kind of air raid staples are certainly bleeding through into the percentages of the Cardinals' offense. And I think a big part of – and it's something we talked about a little bit last week with the New Orleans Saints is you mentioned 6-0 line. You mentioned empty. You mentioned like the pony sets with, with two tailbacks on the field with, with Chase Edmonds and Kenyon Drake. There's an aspect of predictability to that, right? There's an aspect of like, all right, we kind of have an idea that you're going to run here or you're going to throw here. And as I mentioned last week with Sean Payton, that could be a good thing. That could be a, hey, we we think you're going to run up tempo a lot. We think you're going to pass out of this set a lot. 
and oh man, now you come back and you hit us with uh, with a run. Uh, they'll go empty, and their biggest people think about Kyler Murray and the quarterback runs. They're not a very multiple run team. They run a, a ton of zone runs, you know, inside zone, inside zone, inside zone. But they're not a well diversified run scheme in terms of this wide volume of plays with the quarterback. They're not running a lot of quarterback power and you know all the different inside zone reads and stuff. You're going to get a little bit of that, but it is really the big run. I mean, outside of his scrambles. They're going to go empty, and they're going to run QB drop. Like that's the big run you're going to get uh, in terms of a designed run from Kyler Murray. Everything else, they're asking him to execute and play at a, play at a, a fast pace, and we're we're going to beat you because we're better than you. That's kind of the way uh, that they want to play for sure. And they've turned an extension of their run game into those receiver screens. No question. Where they're playing off of the box count and saying we have better numbers out here. Let's throw it out here quick and let him get a couple yards. That's really turned into a huge extension of their run game. And one aspect of that as well, just kind of bringing it back to DeAndre Hopkins, as we mentioned, uh, we're going to be talking about him a lot this week on Eagles game plan. You know, the thing that you see often in the air raid is that since you're going up tempo, everything's fast, no pre, no pre-snap motion, as you mentioned, you know, a lot of times you're going to get a receiver who lines up all the way on the left. You're going to have a receiver that lines up all the way on the right, and they don't move. They stay they stay out there in college. And we talk about this all the time with guys that come from these limited route trees. And you know, it was the case with DK Metcalf and all the players that played for Dana Holgerson at West Virginia and down at Ole Miss and Baylor, all these different offenses. These guys are stationary players. And that's kind of how Hopkins has been throughout the majority of this season. He's been running most of his routes, large majority of his routes, from the far left, sometimes from the left slot, depending on if there's a, an empty set and they move a running back out there or something like that. But uh, that's another aspect of this to keep in mind. Obviously, uh, the, there's, a lot of, you know, there's a lot that's in flux with the Eagles secondary right now. You've got Avante Maddox likely uh, you know, to be shelled for a little bit. Darius Slay, we don't know. He's in the concussion protocol as we speak here on Wednesday afternoon. No Rodney McLeod. The, the secondary, they're going to have to figure out how to stop these pass targets. But the thing that makes it interesting they are state. You know where these guys are going to be, right? You know, like, all right, this is where Christian Kirk's going to be. Larry Fitzgerald is, you know, not, uh, a very high percentage of his snaps coming in the slot, and you're going to have uh, you're going to have Hopkins on the on the far left. That's kind of an interesting part of this matchup, and just something to keep an eye on going into Sunday if you're an Eagles fan. Yeah, absolutely. But what are the advantages of keeping one of your star players in a stagnant position, you know, alignment wise? and the offense, which everybody wants to move around their stars and make it a, you know, where, where is he out of the huddle on a down to down basis? Is it purely a lining up and going fast? And he always goes out to his left spot. Yeah. It's a, it's a tempo, uh, tempo part of that where it's like, okay. Um, you know, if everybody stays on their side of the field, when we go to go tempo, we can go really fast. And that's one, one, that's certainly one part of it. The second part of it is, Again, we are going to out execute. We're gonna. It's along the same lines, the same philosophy as uh, you know, running a, a limited amount of plays. Is that hey, look, we're gonna we're gonna line up in the same spot, and we're gonna run this route better than than you can defend it. That that's kind of the idea, um, you know, from from my understanding of it, and certainly something uh, that they you know take to heart. They deploy that uh, that concept very very uh, you know uh, very often uh, in that offense. So something to watch here going into this game. Um, Last part of this, Ben, before we get to our scouting report, favorite stat of the week. Give me a, a number or two um, that you feel is really important for this matchup. Yeah, there's been a couple that I had uh, suggested already uh, with their high volume of blitzing. They're fourth in the NFL, the Cardinals defense with their blitz rate, but it's how they're doing it. Defensive back blitzing, six most. Like you mentioned, a lot of those safeties uh, working their way into the into the line of scrimmage, into the backfield. 
But the leaders and pressures on the team are still Hassan Reddick, Marcus Golden, Devon Kennard. They're still the ones that are going to be rushing the high volume of snaps and, you know, early downs. They really have to get into third and mediums and longs to deploy those exotic DB pressure schemes. And then, like I just mentioned before, just the interesting air raid aspects of this offense, how, you know, some of the NFL is going to the right and the Cardinals are kind of going left. And I Oh, there's a lot of conversation. I don't have so many stats right now for you, but a lot of conversation on whether this is the right direction for Kyler Murray and their offense in the NFL. They're seven and six right now, and Murray is surprisingly low in a lot of different metrics um, from his turnover-worthy plays and his inability to throw the ball down the field efficiently, holding on to the ball just a bit too much. But his athleticism is outrageous. Uh, They're still second in the NFL and 10 plus yard runs with 60 of them. And a lot of those come with Kyler Murray's legs, you know, in those second reaction scrambles late in the down. So uh, it's going to be really important this week for the Eagles to make sure they're playing defense for not three, four seconds, but it's probably going to be five, six seconds on a more than a few plays fourth, most scrambles uh, in the NFL, 4.9% of plays. That's why that uh, that edge pressure is going to be so important to try and keep him contained. Don't let him, you know, run around and, and you know create plays downfield. That's what you don't want if you are the Eagles' defense. Certainly, uh, something to keep an eye on for sure uh, on Sunday. Well, Ben, we're not done with you yet. We're going to get to our next segment here. It's time for our scouting report. Dim those lights. We're headed to the film room for the scouting report. All right, Ben, well, let's keep the chat going here with our scouting report. And it's going to be on former Temple pass rusher Hassan Reddick. I'm interested to kind of get your notes on Reddick when he was coming out and then how you've kind of seen his game transition upon moving over to the NFL. Well, this guy dominated the conversation in January 2017 when he was making his way to the Senior Bowl because the big conversation around Hassan Reddick was what position will he play at the next level? Definitely a through-and-through hybrid tweener. Uh, defensive end outside linebacker at 6'1", about 235 pounds. But this was a no-star running back safety coming out of high school, ended up walking on, played four years without a scholarship, added about 40, 50 pounds of some good weight, really good muscle tone and definition. Uh, And it really started to kind of all culminate to that last year at Temple where he had the 22 and a half TFLs and nearly 10 sacks and uh, was one of the most explosive pass rushers in the country. See the first step, the speed rushes, the ability to shoot inside gaps, but the bend, the dip, the flat, and at the top of rushes is what got everybody excited. He's a runaround type. He's got the burst to close, explosive speed, backside pursuit. Because of those movement patterns, he was excellent in stunts and games and twists up front uh, to shoot those gaps and to loop around defensive tackles. Even played a little bit of off ball at Temple in those three three five looks. He would be off the line of scrimmage, a couple coverage zone drops. But the issue is just the frame. He lacked the length. He was undersized. Really questionable play strength. I didn't know if he had the length or the strength to set an edge against NFL tackles. Uh, when he is making tackles on running backs, I felt like he absorbed a lot of contact. Didn't have the counter moves I really wanted. So he goes to the Senior Bowl in January, and they move him to off ball linebacker. Yep. So that was the first real down to down taste of seeing him in a Will or a Mike linebacker role, uh, which at 6'1, 230, you felt like he had to be projected off ball based on his size. So you got to see a little more coverage drills, uh, him defend some tight ends and one on ones. And, and all my comps were all these other undersized guys, whether it's Daddy Nicholas out of Virginia Tech, Eric Stryker out of Oklahoma, CO Moore coming out of UConn years ago. 
Um, and Hassan Reddick immediately got moved to line, off ball linebacker his first couple of years with the Cardinals. And it's a, kind of a deep conversation on how that went and uh, if he was success and whether he was warranting a first round pick. And it's really funny to kind of have this matchup now and the conversation now coming off his, I don't even know if it's close, best game as a pro with five sacks. Um, so he's certainly hot and it's certainly the, the production Cardinals fans want to see out of a first round, a former first round pick. I remember when he was coming out and you had all the production, you know, here in Philadelphia at Temple, uh, you know, as you mentioned that you mentioned the sack production that final year, he goes to the senior bowl and he was like, all right, well, he's going to be moved over a linebacker. And you, as you mentioned, high school safety played corner as a walk-on when he first got there. And then they gradually moved him closer and closer to the line of scrimmage and played as a defensive end, uh, you know, in that final year, they moved him to off ball backer. Not only was it like, Oh, he flashed. I thought he was the best linebacker there, and he ended up winning linebacker of the week during the week of practice uh, down in Mobile. So you you, show, uh, you saw a guy with great athletic traits. He ran four five one at two hundred forty pounds. Great athletic traits, and now you say, all right, well, he's got some pass rush ability. He can drop in coverage. He got that. He's got that DB background, and he he did that in college. You saw him, you know, move in reverse and be able to you know take players away and play in zone. You saw that. Now, can this guy play downhill? Can he see the game from a stacked position? Can he flow to the football, key and diagnose and make plays? That was going to be the question. And it was a little bit of a, it was a slow start, right? And then now we're seeing him transition to more of, you know, as a uh, pure off the, you know, the edge rusher off the corner. And we're seeing him try and see, all right, he could, he could be a runaround guy. Really the big thing when you have a guy that has that skill set, can you keep him clean? Can you find ways to really kind of unleash that athleticism and what did we talk about? One of the big reasons why he had five sacks this past week, a lot of stunts. And he's used as a looper. I think when you look at him and Marcus Golden on the opposite sides, uh, you know, they've both got the ability to win in their different stunts and pressure concepts uh, where they can kind of come in clean as loopers. Uh, he certainly has that skill set. Yeah, but Fran, when you're getting to these tweener, uh, you know, players, the hybrid players, the one that the conversation of where you're going to play him positionally, how do I stack him with the comparison – of, hey, if he's an edge, I got to talk about him against Miles Garrett and Derek Barnett and Solomon Thomas. But if he's an off ball, suddenly I have to stack him against Ruben Fosters and, you know, through and through off ball linebackers that have been playing for, you know, their entire life. I find it really tough to figure out where to stack these guys uh, that you want to move around and maybe where you're going to play him at the next level isn't settled yet. Where did you stack him? I had him uh, as an off ball so just because I. Yep. I thought he was too small to play off the edge. But you know me, I'm very passionate about not making this will linebacker a catch all for undersized defensive ends, oversized safeties. And he's one of my case studies for buyer beware. It's not that easy. And while he was a darling at the senior bowl and looked great, he didn't always look great. You know, his first couple of years, no, with the he Cardinals. Didn't. And, you know, yep. he had James Betcher as defensive coordinator year one. And suddenly Betcher leaves and goes to the Giants, you know, so, um, you know, there's a lot of uh, a lot of things that were working against him as well. And it's not like, I mean, his success now is not as an off ball backer. I mean, he's in a, he's in a, he's an outside linebacker in their three, four scheme, um, you know, and he will drop in time. He's a, a, a guy that can drop and he's a guy that can move forward. You could say, I mean, we could we could pretty much say here now that he was not worth the, the top 15 pick unless this kind of production continues, obviously. Um, but I think when you look at Reddick, Really interesting case study, and we've talked about all these guys that are undersized and can come off the ball and uh, you know can win with speed, win with quickness. But if you don't have that ability to win through a player, you're limited in terms of the ways uh, that you can get home to the quarterback at the next level, and I think that that impacts your value overall. 
Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I think it's interesting as well for him to have survived, uh, you know, the, the coaching change, you know, going from the, the previous era into the Cliff Kingsbury and new defensive coordinators. When you're kind of a, you know, I want to say a project player, it's really easy to fall out of love with the new guys in the building but they still had the same general manager and Steve Kime. So I think that was his kind of saving grace that bought him some extra time uh, to learn, you know, either the new position at linebacker or like we've seen the past two years, his more move back to edge player. And I think he's more comfortable. And I think the production is starting to show up. And I think when used properly, you can find uses for an undersized 6'1", 235, you know, 35-pound outside linebacker. It just probably won't be a, in a down-to-down basis. And I think the, with all the injuries they've had, he's had to play on more of a down-to-down basis, and they they have gotten pretty creative with how they've used him. I've seen him match up with tight ends. You see him drop out in zone coverage. We, look, I was, I've been impressed watching them on film with how he has attacked tight ends in the in the run game as well and setting edges and changing the line of scrimmage. He he's he's done some good things um from that standpoint. Again, local kid, Camden, New Jersey, went to Temple. Uh the uh, former head coach Bruce Arians was the head coach there when they drafted him. He's always going to take care of his Temple guys, a former Temple head coach himself. But uh th- kind of bring that to this week. Most of his reps are going to come up against the right tackle. Obviously Jack Driscoll uh is now going to be uh, out for this game. So now you're going to see most likely Matt Pryor over at right tackle. How do you kind of view this matchup? And what are the things that Pryor is going to have to worry about with Hassan Reddick? Well, he's not going to look to go through Matt Pryor. So he's a guy that's going to try to get on his edge, shoot gaps, and definitely work around him. You have to be aware of all the games and the stunts. So playing with your eyes up, playing square to the line of scrimmage is going to be crucial. And Anytime you have these high side speed rushers, these tackles immediately want to fire out, get your hips to the sideline and run the arc with the speed. And that's a nightmare for the games and the stunts. So Reddick knows how to sell up field for two steps, get the tackle to open up and then swoop back underneath. He's done a really good job uh, doing that. And I'm interested to see how the Cardinals are going to approach Jalen Hurts. And if they you know, go back to the formula last week of a little less pressures, or back to who they are and really ramping up some of these exotic defensive back and safety uh, pressure schemes, particularly the zone pressures of Vance Joseph uh, against young Jalen Hurts. And if I had to just guess right now, I think we're going to see everything. I think they're going to throw the kitchen sink at at Jalen Hurts. And you might see Hassan Reddick as the guy used in some unique roles. And it could be a, you know, blitz and a line, Isaiah Simmons and Buda Baker off the edge. And it could be Hassan Reddick spying, you know, Jalen Hurts. I think having a guy like Reddick is really interesting and uh, it's going to be used in some creative ways. Yeah, it's going to be uh, interesting to see ultimately how he's deployed against this uh, this Eagles offense. We talked about Isaiah Simmons, the potential spy element. Wouldn't shock me if uh, if Reddick uh, used at times in that role as well. well ben- does, Reddick's, does Reddick's success right now give any sort of patience or flexibility to some of the guys coming out this year. And I know we talk about a lot of this stuff over on the journey to the draft podcast, but it seems like every year you have some of these undersized guys that you always go back to the case studies and trying to figure out if it can work, you know, whether it's Quincy Roche at Miami, coincidentally a former temple owl yep. as well, or Shaka Tony or Chris Rumpf at Duke, who seems like he's 225 pounds, but he's a pass rusher. So a lot of people point to Hassan Reddick and say, well, but 
And, you know, it's the former case studies that really formulate the projections. And the other guy that did that was a year ago, Shaq Barrett, uh, was that guy for the Bucks last year, or extremely undersized linebacker. You didn't know if he was an edge or an off-ball guy when he was coming out of Colorado State. Uh, and it was same kind of deal. I mean, he was, the, I believe, the sack leader in the league last year. Um, it's a, I mean, we're all hoping they turn into, you know, Robert Mathis and Elvis Dumerville and yeah. Von Miller. That's we're hoping for that. But right. you know, there's only so many of those guys walking around. Yeah, no question. Well, it will be discussions that we will continue to have over on the Journey of the Draft podcast every single week. Ben, thanks so much for joining us once again here on the Eagle Eye in the Sky podcast. We'll talk to you right here next week. Experience the fastest internet and more in a snap. With Xfinity XFi, you get the speed, coverage, control, and security you need for the ultimate in-home Wi-Fi experience. Xfinity, proud partner of the Philadelphia Eagles. Great stuff from Ben, who you can follow on Twitter just like I do, at Ben Fennel underscore NFL. And while you're at it, I'm at Eagles XOs. That's where I post all of the podcasts I'm a part of and all of our X's Nose content that we produce here at Eagles Entertainment. You know I greatly appreciate everybody that promotes this podcast on social media. That's one way to support the show, but the best way is to go on Apple Podcasts. Leave us a rating, leave us a comment, make the show more available to other people that are looking for Eagles and X's and O's podcast. And guess what? The queue is empty right now. I have not had a, a rating or review in the last couple of days, so I don't have one to. I don't have a question to answer. So now's the time. If you've got a, a question about this Eagles team or about any kind of X's and O's scheme, any kind of thing you're seeing around the NFL or college football, now's the time. Jump onto our Apple Podcast page, leave a rating, leave a comment. And if you leave that question in the comment section, I'll answer it right on Monday's show. Really, really appreciate everybody that has continued to do that throughout the course of the NFL season. All that being said, I think that'll do it. Another show in the books here at the Eagle Eye in the Sky podcast, fueled by Gatorade. For everybody here at the Novacare Complex, I'm Fran Duffy. We'll talk to you next week. Raise a glass to that comforting feeling of an Eagles touchdown with the all-new Broad and Patterson Wine Collection, created in partnership with Wink. Featuring a Cabernet, a Rosé, and a Chardonnay, Broad and Patterson Wines are the perfect pairing for any occasion. Now you can bring the sweet taste of victory with you to a dinner with friends or to the tailgate with your game day crew. Purchase online today at philadelphiaeagles.com slash wine to stock up and have Broad and Patterson delivered right to your door. A portion of proceeds from every bottle benefit Eagles Autism Foundation.